Welcome back to another episode of Risking Failure. I'm your host, Mick Don, and this week when I caught up with Dobbo, we talked about getting stuck in a rut. You know, that feeling when you're sort of feeling as though you're traveling down a one-way street or cornered and just not quite sure which way to turn. Well, that was the subject of this week's conversation. We both had a few experiences to share on the subject. It's our last episode for 2013, so we thank you for already tuning into the show. It's still early days, and we'd love to hear from you on iTunes with any feedback that you might have in the comment section of iTunes. That's what helps grow the show, and we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can also reach out at riskingfailure.com and contribute to the conversation. Dobbo, how are you, mate? Mate, I am rock starring it. I'm uh, passionately living life, and uh, I know that sounds a bit wanky, but I'm just having I'm having a good week. It's good, been good fun. And how are you? Really good, awesome. Had a really good week actually. It's been busy, productive though, challenging one too. Kind of caused me to start reflecting a little bit. I listened to a couple of podcasts this week and got me thinking about the subject of being stuck in a rut. The question that came up for me actually when I was listening to some of the subjects was the kind of thought about how we've made decisions that get us to where we are now. How did I get here sort of thing? And I thought maybe that'd be an interesting subject to talk about. Yeah, I can relate to that one. I like it actually. Mainly because I've probably been there, I reckon a fair few years ago, I got to a point where I actually remember looking at my life and said, oh no, I've lived my life into a corner. And I honestly didn't think I could get out of the life that I had. I felt I literally stuck that I didn't really have the finances to probably resource what I thought were good solutions. I probably didn't have the networks. I probably didn't have the skill set. I couldn't see the solutions. And it was a case of really just living my life and passionately backing myself in. only to get to a point where I'd run out of all resources and all energy and opportunity was no longer available to me. I was stuck and I honestly couldn't see a way to get out. And now, of course, I look back and, but really, I was just holding on to some ways of thinking and I needed to change a few of those, but I didn't know until I was absolutely stuffed. So um, I reckon this could be a good topic. I reckon I've got some uh, personal experience and not about solutions, but happy to chew the fat on it. So where are we starting? Well, I think it is sort of one of those things that comes in waves, though. You know, there's sort of like little times that we all feel like we're stuck in a rut, right? We're stuck on a project, stuck on a whatever relationship or a decision. I was thinking about this topic more on a, a much bigger level. And, and the reason it came up was I think I heard somebody saying, or maybe it just came to mind, but it, isn't it funny how we make decisions when we're in our teenage years about I want to be a vet or an architect or whatever it might be, a traveler, and many years down the track, we're still, I wouldn't say dealing with those decisions, we're still working with decisions we made many years ago that kind of begin this path. And it's difficult to just stop and actually rethink whether you're on the right path to begin with. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I'm reading Andre Agassi's book, Open. In it, he says he opens with the line, I hate tennis. And then the next line is something along the lines of, no, I really do. Now, I've heard a lot of people say to me, oh, he doesn't really hate tennis. He makes millions out of it, yada, yada, yada. But having dealt with a lot of elite people, when he says he hates tennis, he hates tennis. You know, I already tell people, don't project your way of thinking onto him going, but if I had that, I would love it. He doesn't. What had actually happened in his life was his dad had made him play tennis. And in the process of playing tennis, 
just insane number of hours and not even going to school in the end and just playing tennis, he had nothing else available to him to do. So he ended up hating tennis but being so competent at it and so good at it that he just really felt he had no other choice but to do this thing. And it became a sort of an odd addiction where he got out there and he wanted to perform at his best because that's what he'd been conditioned to do. But he really would love to do something else, but didn't even know what that was because he never had any choices. And people say, oh, you've always got choices. But if we all look at our own lives, we've all probably got similar models to that where we chose to be an accountant and we chose to marry a particular person. And we get further down the track and we're like, you know, if I had my time again, I probably would have done this and this and this. And I like to say, well, no, you don't need your time again. Just just do it now. And then people would go, no, no, but, you know, and then we start to hear all the reasons that actually leave them stuck. Well, Andre Agassi's had the same experience where he go, I'd like to do something else. And they go, well, just go and do it. And he says, yeah, but, but I, I can't because of A, B, and C. I think many of us are in that situation where we travel down a path and that path has now restricted where you can go from there to some level. You have to get creative if you want to get onto another path. But I think it's possible. Like my sister Jo, she studied marketing and then went off and worked overseas and traveled around and then you know, at the age of 30, he said, I think I want to be a doctor. And just started studying medicine. So it's plausible, but challenging, challenging. Yeah, I agree. And it seems so big, though, when you're talking about something like that, that I think sometimes we tend to not consciously, but unconsciously focus on the little things. So more like, oh, I should go start a yoga class or I should go, I don't know, join a football team or, or whatever it might be, but not really dealing with the big question. And another thing that made me think about that was somebody, I wish I could remember her name. She was talking about healing and working with people that her practice and her work as a doctor started to change when A, she spent more time with people. So that meant sort of pulling herself out of the world of hospital treatment and everything like that and just opening up a completely different health-centered facility and asking the question of what does your body need to do to heal itself? And what shocked her in the feedback she was getting was not health-related answers. It was things related to, I need to quit my job. I need to, I need to do this or that. Those are maybe the big decisions, you know? Yeah. Like I'm a big rep for Louise Hay's work. And Louise Hay, for people don't know, wrote a book called Heal Your Body. And she talked about every illness being linked to an emotion. In Germany, there's actually a lot of material on it that's perhaps a little bit more scientific than her material is. Her material is probably, she, she refers to it as being inspired. I think I hope I'm being accurate that she just had this understanding, this knowing that different parts of the body are linked to different parts of health. And people find that a bit of a stretch. They go, if I've got a sore knee, it's, you know, there's a mechanic, something's wrong with my knee, you know, like, you know, fix it. And, but if you look into her work, you actually start to realize, no, no, in actual fact, hear this out. So, for example, if I've got a frown, I don't need a massage on my forehead. I'm worried about something. So people can accept that. And if we've got an upset stomach, we're nervous about something. You know, it's people go, oh, I'm sick to the stomach with fear. And people accept that. If someone's got a clenched fist, it's not because you've been holding your briefcase too tightly. The fist is usually linked to some sort of anger or aggression or frustration. And so people accept that. But then you go, well, the knees are linked to ego. But then they go, hang on, no, it's not all the, the shoulders are, are linked for joy for what one does. And you're like, no. And and so I hear you say that there's a health issue, but it's really just a symptom of a decision or an underlying state of mind that you continue to think is not potent. What we do is we, we lock into that one line of thinking, for example, 
you know, it, I need to be in this job. I'm quite happy in my job. It's fine by saying that. But then we start smoking because always taking caffeine or the like to keep going. And in the process of fixing and locking in that way of thinking on that one topic, we end up building a whole lot of other mechanisms around it. So that one never looks weak. It's almost like you, you build a tower out of straw, but to keep the straw tower up, you put a whole lot of bricks around it. Well, if we had to just build this tower out of bricks in the first place, been fine. So I, I like what you're saying there. Like when we're stuck, what we've got to do is we've got to challenge fundamental ways of thinking that are ingrained in us. And I definitely had to do that in my life. I didn't have the money. I didn't really have the social network like I wanted. I didn't have the business network. I just poured my heart and soul into what I wanted to do. And it just didn't bloody work. And it was only once I did rock bottom and realized that I'd lived my life into a corner and that my way of thinking must have been fundamentally wrong. Then I made a shift and I got different water. And I'll tell you one of the main things I did, I only just realized it in this moment. One of the main things is I started to ask people for help. So I actually started to say to people who had what I wanted, can you please teach me? Like, how did you do that? Or could you give me your advice on what you would do in my shoes? And it was difficult because they give me advice, but in my brain would go, yeah, but he doesn't understand this and this and this. And I started to go, well, hang on, let's just think this through. And I really made the decision I didn't want to live like this anymore. So one of the first changes I made was, oh, I didn't know the answer. I accepted that, you know, somebody else might know my way is not working. It's pretty big when you, when you start. And I think that's where you get out of being stuck is to just look at those primary questions, those fundamental things that you just take for granted. Yeah, well, when you are stuck, and I think this happens in the little ebbs and flows too, right? I think there's so much value in reflection, meaning not reflecting on yourself, but actually having somebody else reflect back to you what they're seeing in some way. Like when you're talking to somebody else about the issue, it, it tends to be that's when it gets resolved, not when you're chewing it over in your own mind because you just end up constructing more stuff around the thing that's there, you know? Yeah, you definitely need the feedback. And I haven't always enjoyed that because I I don't really want to hear your advice until I feel like you understand my life. So how do you get there? I mean, that's the biggest barrier, right? Is like if it was me, it would be the same thing. And you just sort of deny those things and those feelings about whatever it is, changing jobs, closing, opening businesses, whatever, you know, relationship stuff. You kind of don't want to talk to people about it because it's going to make it real. Just the same example as what you said in the last few episodes about when you need to go to the toilet. As soon as you announce it, it becomes real and it becomes a lot more urgent. Yes. Now, that is really interesting because people tend to not want to discuss it. Let's say there's three stages here. There's the moving into stuck, and that means that you're not acknowledging problems. You're just persisting, and it's going to be all right, and, and it's admirable. It's not a, it's not a weakness. It's a, you're just having a red-hot crack going, no, I think I've got it. Like No one's trying to stuff their life up, but there's pre-stuck, and then there's stuck, and that's when you sort of hit rock bottom, and you can't really see the way out, and then there is moving out of stuck. When we're moving into stuck, we're not interested in anybody, what everyone's got to say, because we pretty much think we've got it. When we are stuck, I still think that we're not that interested because we just don't have any resources. Anytime somebody says, oh, you could try this, or I think about doing that, we've just hit rock bottom. It's like just being punched in the face. When you just get punched in the face, if somebody says to you, hey, smile, you're not in any state to smile at that time. So you just got to collect yourself. And I think it's coming out of the stuck that we start to go, well, what am I going to change something has to shift and one of the things i know i shifted was my ability to say what's your opinion can you give me advice and, and i would take it in two ways one was either principles like is that 
if, if I felt I didn't understand my life, I go, what, what are the key principles you build your business around? Or what are the key p- principles you would make that decision by? And sometimes it will be specific. So I'm about to do something. Like I remember talking to a guy years ago and he'd sold a couple of companies for $100 million each. And I was inventing my, um, I came up my webpage. And back then my business, and it still is actually called the same, was called Innate Solutions. And he says, Innate Solutions? That's a dumb name. I was like, you know, it took me, you know, years to think about it. It took me nearly as long as it took you to think of Shift Energy, right? Uh, you now, which is a profound name, Mick. Profound. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. This is, is this the Dobbo.com? Like, exactly. Right. And then he said, your nickname's Dobbo. Your webpage should be Dobbo.com.au. I was like, oh, but that's so arrogant. And he goes, yeah, well, I've got $40 million in the bank. How much have you got? <laughs> I was like, yeah, good point. Dobbo.com.au sounds fantastic. And it's been like that ever since. And of all the web pages I've had through the years, that's the only one that hasn't changed. So sometimes it's on specifics like that, and other times it's on a principle. I think it's just when we have this discussion, it's important for people to sort of recognize where they are. If they're starting to feel like they're getting stuck, they, a symptom of that is just absolute fatigue, just just fatigue, just the bank account's going down or the love's depleted in their relationship or your body's just always breaking down. A stuck is just when you just you'll end up pretty much this part of you is in tears. Like there's a part of you that is just crying and over it and, and can't cope and is asking for help and loved ones are really worried about you. And coming out of stuck, you feel like you're a child again where you're learning and there's a humility. And I find in all the greats that I've ever coached, there's a humility in them because the humility allows them to say, teach me, please teach me. I was actually thinking a little bit about, which is probably a subject you're intimately familiar with too, which is chiropractic, that the philosophy behind a lot of that is adjusting and just kind of interrupting patterns from developing into much more major issues. So not necessarily about solving something. Like when I first went to a chiropractor, it was all about like getting adjusted and it was like this bone crunching experience. Whereas the chiropractor I go to now, it's a gentle adjustment and listening to what your body's doing and just readjusting the course so that it's kind of moving in the direction that it should be. And continuing to do that helps not develop patterns that aren't serving you. What do you think of that? Sometimes you shouldn't ask me what I think because I have controversial views. <laughs> Well, what I mean is like where I was drawing comparison to that, even if that's true or not, I'm I'm obviously not an expert in that area of any shape or form. It's just something that resonated with me. And do you think there's value in somehow trying to place yourself in a position where you're constantly trying to make adjustments to the way you're thinking and what you're doing? And if you do, how do you do that? I mean, like, is it reading books and is it stuff like this, a podcast where you're just challenging your ideas? I mean, have you found yourself doing that? I mean, I, I kind of feel like I got into podcasting really pretty seriously about a year and a half to two years ago and eventually settled in the last eight to 10 months on programs that are challenging really radical ideas and thoughts. I feel far less in a rut when I'm tapping into that kind of stuff because I'm not listening to the same tape over and over again. Yeah, like I'm a big one for deliberately putting myself in an environment for growth, always doing that. The one we talk about, the chiropractic with the adjusting, I'm a big rap for chiropractic and I'm a big rap for medicine. I'm a big rap for people who are world-class in their field. I don't give a rat's ass what you're world-class at. If you're world-class, then you can have an impact. I think that there are a lot of people in any field that aren't world-class and they 
do damage to the rest of their industry. So, but I think with say illness and particularly say like I've always struggled with my back. I've never really been blessed with a functioning back, but but I take a lot of responsibility and I really believe it's an emotional state. I think I'm very emotional in my nature and connected to the feelings around me. When I go to the, the chiropractor, I will usually say, what's out? And they'll explain it. And then once I see a pattern of what's out, I will seek to fix that emotionally. I'm not looking for a mechanical solution. Sometimes if you go get a dent in your car, you need to bang it back out, right? But if you've got a dent in your car because you're driving angry or you're driving, I don't know, flipping state of mind, then the state of mind is what we've got to address. And so with my body, I've definitely found that all that when I go to a doctor, I'm looking for assistance, whether it be a dentist or a naturopath or a chiro or a kinesiologist or whoever it is, I'm seeking to have them show me what the symptoms they're picking up on, but I'm seeking to learn what's the emotion that's driving that. And I want to address that myself. And there's definitely been things where I've had so much clarity I've actually been able to resolve things. And I'll give you one for example. When I first learned that the body and the mind were connected, I was skeptical, but my lower back kept on going out. And lower back is always linked to finance and future, concern about finances and concern about the future. And I'm being crass with that, but it's generally in that area, lower back. When I found that out, I went and dug out my chiropractic report for the past two years and I matched it to my bank account. And anytime I had no money, my lower back was out. Really? <laughs> I couldn't bloody believe it. And I was like, all right, I'm listening. So, wait a minute. Where, where did you get this information from in terms of like that lower back is connected to finance and, and what? And future. Worry about the future. So, that's uh, Louise Hay stuff. Heal your body. She's got uh, a couple of versions of it. And one, you can actually look up. This, it's got a picture of the spine. It's exactly in every vertebrae and what it's associated to. But you can look up all sorts of illnesses. It's quite extraordinary. thing is that it's very general. So... Some people look it up and go, oh, that doesn't make sense to me, and they'll disclaim it. But having spent 20 years diving into this stuff, I match it to a lot of my other knowledge, and I, I get the subtleties. Also, I think it's when you look into the, her book, you, you, you want to look up a couple of illnesses of yours because usually there'll be one that will resonate more than others because you might have a lower back that's out, but it actually might be due to a knee that is out that you're, or a knee that's injured and you're protecting it so you walk funny. And it shows up in the back, but the original cause is the knee. So, so you're looking at what's the primary, you know, what's up river, if you like. But I had that legitimate experience. And since then, I've helped athletes who can't afford to have surgery of any significance or can't take some drugs before, say, an Olympics. And we've had to get them sorted. And I will 100% use that as a, uh, a tool. And I'll have a sinus issue. And I'll be like, oh, really? So, um, upset with anybody at the moment? <laughs> And they'll be like, what? No, 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 not really. I go, oh, really? Okay. Turns out they've been having a fight with their coach for the last you know, year that we didn't even know about. And you're like, ah, oh, and you clean that up and a symptom can disappear. Now, it's an art form, so I'm not saying it's black and white because people say, say to me, oh, so you're just saying that my lower back problem, my shoulder problem is in my head. Like I've always had it. And I'm like, yeah, well, sometimes you can have an accident as a kid and you've damaged it and it just heals funny. And I'm not saying that you're inventing it because I've had a chronic back problem, but I'm not saying that you're inventing the pain, but what we're saying is that you're holding the tension there. Now, you go to a chiropractor that thinks like that or a kinesiologist or a physiotherapist or an osteopath or anybody in that field, some of them are going to think like this and some of them are just going to go, no, 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 we'll adjust you, we'll make your back bulletproof. Well, I've never seen a back that's bulletproof. Like, try shooting it. It's stupid. We just discussed this because this is an example of, where we fundamentally have a belief 
that is causing illness. Now, for me, the belief was, or what I really had to learn was that life supports me. I didn't trust life. I did not trust that I would be taken care of by life. I didn't trust that I had enough money. So I lived in fear. And I don't do that anymore. I just really live out of trust. And as soon as I get scared, I make a conscious decision to trust life, which sounds a bit wishy-washy if you're not, haven't gone down the new age path. But like that's a fundamental thing. Since I was stuck, I realized when I was stuck, I was trying to make my life happen. And I wasn't letting go and just letting life. And it showed up in my body, showed up in my finances, showed up in my relationships, showed up in um, God, any area that it possibly could. We're kind of talking about being stuck in a rut and what got you here, not you, but just that question. And you were talking about health and, and sort of athletes. And it's sort of athletes are an interesting segue, I think, because then there's a life to that, right? You know, like a swimmer eventually just can't compete at the top level anymore. And it's really interesting how some swimmers or some footballers or whatever, they move on to something that's just as dynamic and others just everything like career stops. That's the end of it because they're attached to that. Oh my God. Yep. Well, at the end of every Olympics, I end up spending a year just helping people retire or reassess the career, make a decision to go on, and some very, very tough conversations. And sometimes I've got to be the one that says, "I think you're done." I don't say that lightly. I, I would have to really have done due diligence to get to that point. But usually, it's just like a loving arm around them, going, "Maybe it's done. It's okay. Move on to the next thing." What happens is people that their identity is tied up in their sport. They're like, "But I am Olympian, or I am a swimmer, or I am a golfer. You know, that's who I am." We all have that in life. But I'm a, I'm a married man. I, I, I can't have my relationship fall apart or I'm a model citizen. I'm a pillar of the community. As soon as you've got a view like that, you can, you can come crashing down. And the more fluid we can be in our, in our identity, the more fluid we can be in um, resolving. You can't get stuck if you're fluid. You just, you, you're just like water. You can just move around things. So, yeah, I see it all the time. And one of the the big things to do is to take a component of the identity and allow that to live on. So the athlete might continue to be a competitor. They might compete physically, but they also might go into business and compete like that. For me, when I was stuck, I remember getting an email from my friend James and at the bottom, he signs up his emails with student of life. And I thought that was so cool, but I was like, geez, I can't be a student though because I'm the teacher, (laughs) you know, like how messed up is that? And people always look at me for the answer. Now, even when I I do teach. What I'm really share, I don't really, I still teach, I simplify, I clarify, but really I just share my experience and go, look, if it helps you, then here you go. I don't, I don't, even though people might hear that I think I've got the answers, I don't think I've got the answers, but some areas I've got some clarity, it's not an answer. So I really had to start to go, all right, how do I be a student, but still be able to be in front of an audience? And so that was a big one. I had to shift. Another one was, uh, I was always a model citizen. So when I've made mistakes, like mistakes that were just as embarrassed about and I or upset people or hurt people or just because of life, not just because of just stumbling over and, you know, they really cut me because I thought I was this perfect person. Like what an idiot, like stupid. So yeah, identity is massive. And yeah, that's a great place to start when you're stuck. I feel like a good example for me is this project. I didn't feel like I was stuck in a rut before we started this, but I did start to look at the last year or so and think that I was had really settled into a particular industry and a particular sort of like 
identity and I wanted to just sort of figure out if there was a way not to break that, but to just push that so that that wasn't the shirt I was always wearing. I was kind of getting a little bit worried about like you pour so much energy into what you do on a day-to-day basis that for me, it was sort of like a check to make sure it's not owning me. Geez, that's a really good way to put it, Mick, that it's not owning me. I think a lot of people feel owned by their life and their responsibilities rather than owning your life. I think that's a really important distinction, actually. Like we talked about overwhelm a couple of podcasts ago, and there's been times when, when you feel overwhelmed, you actually feel like you owe life all these things. But as soon as you start to go, hang on, this is my life. I don't have to do any of this. I can choose. You have a different lightness. You have a different sense of freedom. But I like that distinction. So you're going, I don't want my work to own me too much. You want it to be able to be liberal enough to be able to try something new. And I didn't feel like it was, but it was sort of a check. I'll tell you, when I called you to talk to you about the idea and when we first connected on it, my heart was thumping about it. I was genuinely like, wow, this is actually more challenging than I thought. And I think that was a permission-based thing, giving myself permission to do something that was out of, not out of character, but out of identity, outside of my role right now, you know, and that that's okay to do. And it was just like leaning into something not saying I'm dropping everything, just saying this would be a major interruption to what I'm doing right now in terms of interrupting a pattern, not interrupting everything I'm doing, but just a complete, a new thing that would just inject something different. And I was okay with doing that. If some people are stuck, there's usually something they are hoping to experience and they're trying to find a way to do it. And they failed. When I say failed, they're not experiencing it. They're experiencing being stuck. I think what you said just then is really healthy is you recognize something that you have a passion for and you lean into it. Because stuck is not always a case of just being crippled. It just feels like Groundhog Day. It's mundane. It's, it's repetitive. It's not making progress. When you said, you know, I lent into this idea of could I do this podcasting thing, other people have got similar things. They're going to be like, well, you know, I, I do like sailing, but could I go on a Saturday morning without fit into my life? Or I really do like making model planes or I do love the local woodworking club or I wouldn't mind doing some more photography. I wouldn't mind doing some trekking. These little people have got little ideas in the back of their head, little voices. And you need to give that voice some quiet time where you just allow it to speak. So that means you do go down to the woodworking class for an hour. You don't have to commit fully and, and something similar. But but you really need to be choosing something that isn't a logic decision. It's a passion decision because passion will continue where logic will not. We talked about this in one of the other episodes, I think. Like you just... This idea just wasn't going away. And if something's not going away, it needs to be acknowledged and needs to have time allocated to it and it needs to be resourced. Yeah, that's it. It's totally it. And as you were talking about that, I was thinking about when I was in school younger and you know how you get into a sport and then you get pretty good at it and then you're on a team and now you sort of have an obligation to the team. A couple of years go by and you're like, you know, whatever, you're on the cross-country team and you, I think everybody has that experience of like, I don't actually like this sport. I, I'm like, I don't enjoy getting up early to go to training for this. What I really want to be doing is that sport. And I think I could have a crack at it, but it's like, you just sort of don't because it just seems too significant. Like you're going to let a team down, a coach down, you're going to surprise your parents because you're going to tell them I'm not into this anymore. And they've been driving you every bloody weekend to go to sports games and they've been driving an hour and a half. Like there's all of that stuff that, and it's not really about that so much as it is, well, I just, I'm going to start kicking the footy 
once a night with one of my mates and see if, you know, if I'm any bloody good. And if I am, I'll just kind of start figuring out a way to grow that. I think it's definitely very difficult for a child because they feel obligation to their parents. Like, oh, what will mum and dad say? Usually mum and dad say, they usually talk people into it. So, like, I interviewed parents of Australia's great sporting families. I said, how did you develop your children? And the book's called Parenting Freak Ability. And freak, in Australia at least, is referred to as a phenomenal sporting talent. So it's a freak ability. When I interviewed these parents, I was looking for what they did differently to the rest of the planet. And a lot of people, when they're parenting their child, if the child's quite good at something, say they're good at piano and they're making progress, and the child says, I don't really want to do piano anymore, usually the typical response we get from our community is, oh, but you're so good at it, you know. You could just keep going this and you could be amazing at this and the idea, you know, and, and there's this sense, oh, don't, don't give it up. Don't let it go. Now, that's actually a lie because they're not going to be awesome at it because they don't love it. Like the greatest people on the planet love it. Now, compare that to Andre Agassi. Does he love it? No, but he's being drilled into it and he gets a point where it's an addiction. And so the addiction or the love will actually create it, create this huge amount of talent. These parents, though, didn't say that. These parents were like, well, Okay, it's up to you. Anna Siegel, who was Australia's first athlete to win a gold medal at the Winter X Games, she's a skier, but she hated skiing, hated it, and her mum loved it. She was playing the violin, and she was very good at it. And then one day she said, Mum, I don't want to play the violin anymore. And her mum, who's a doctor, said, uh, a very, very smart woman, actually, when interviewed her, very wise. She said, okay, honey, you don't have to play anymore. Now, that's different parenting. But she was still passionate about, her mum was passionate about skiing and would still take a skiing and she couldn't stand it until one day she gave Anna and organised a personal lesson. So it wasn't in a class, it was just one-on-one. When it was one-on-one, Anna could interact with the person and get answers in the way that she wanted them. Fell in love with skiing and went on to be one of Australia's great, great athletes and is still skiing at the moment. What we've received there is just, it's not a classic advice, but for many kids, if they're good at something, there is this pressure of it, mum and dad drive me or they've invested all this money or they just bought me this, you know, kayak or they bought me this violin and, you know, it's worth so much money, I should keep doing it. And we do with pressure on our kids. I think so. There's a very difficult period for children to change. And as adults, we really want to create an opportunity for them to change. But also the other one is that the further down the end of the scale, when you now have family and responsibility and you're in charge and you go, well, I think I'd really like to start my career as an actor. And your partner's like, acting? We've got three kids who go on a private school I don't think so, and you end up in a rut because you now have bills that you've got to pay, attitudes around that. But I think they're the, the two ends of the scale where the change is the most difficult, and you're probably in the second end of the scale, Mick, where you've got a couple of kids and, you know, the business and the overheads and living in foreign countries, you don't have the same network. So there's a limit to how much leaning in you can do. Yeah, I think so, but I feel like, look, starting a business in hindsight is not that big of a deal, but in the moment is a massive deal, particularly in the US because of healthcare and, you know, who's going to do all that. But I feel like I, I sort of made this leap before all of that came on. And so I do feel like if I was in that situation right now, it would be very intimidating to try to figure out how to weed through all of that and just say, I'm just going to cut income and um, take a leap. It, well, you have to become smarter about doing it, though. That's where you have to say to someone, please teach me. And you have to learn how business works. We've talked about Brad Smith another time. I coach here, but is also a good friend of mine. And he was doing a million dollars at the age of 16. He owns a company called Brat Motorcycles. He's now 24 or something or 25 and killing it. 
He says, business is a science, except nobody understands the formula. And he's clearly got a formula. This is what you need to do. And here's how you go about it. It's very, very straightforward. But people don't know the formula. So as an adult, you want to start a business like you are now, it's very important to find someone who gets it. Oh, my advice would be find someone who's getting the results, but don't pay huge amounts for the advice because a lot of people out there spend $7,000 on a course from some guru who's going to go, you know, this is the way. I've got this results over and over and over and over again. And I just go, I just don't believe you. If you're going to, if you're charging me $7,000 of advice, like I can tell you, I charge a lot less than $7,000. And if I don't get your results, I don't get paid. If someone is moving, if they have been stuck and they've got a lot of responsibilities now, it's very important to get very good counsel so that you can move into it because a lot of feeling stuck is not knowing the strategy, is not knowing the way, is not knowing how. So you've got to ask someone who does know. And that's why I think an identity shift is really important at that point. I agree with that, but I think there's something before that, which is the direction thing. Like there was two to three years in, in just in that particular decision in my life, but I, I knew I wanted to start a company, but I had no idea what. So I was more interested in the change of lifestyle and the having control, not control of my time, but just being accountable to myself and those challenges. But I was, I just want to do it, but I don't even know what I want to do it in. So it was very hard to make that switch. And that's when I felt in the biggest rut was because I didn't know what to do in terms of like, I knew I wanted to figure out a way to start a business, but it could have been cupcakes or could have been solar energy. You know what I mean? I mean, like it could have been anything. Like for me to sit down with a, an expert wasn't the right time because they'd be like, you just need to figure out what you want to do in some ways. You know, like I needed somebody to help me work through that. And I think that tension is really healthy. It's a growing pain. Very few people just know with great clarity what they want to do from day one. It takes a while for an idea to mature. There's anything like even when you mentioned this to me, it took a while before we started to go about making it happen. And I know I've got a few different projects on the boil and they start as an idea and Sometimes the idea is let's just go in a different direction. So it's as simple as thinking your family, let's go on a holiday. Well, that's great. Yes, we want a holiday. But then some issues come up like when and where and how much is it going to cost. And it takes a while to get everybody's diaries to line up, to get the budget to line up and the like. With our career or any significant change, so we find that we're single and we're looking for relationships or we're in an unhappy relationship, we want it to be an awesome one. A lot of it, is about first just choosing the direction and going, all right, and what is it you want to feel? And obviously, you just wanted to feel like more dynamic or you want to build the feeling of building something or you want more freedom. I don't know what it was. But I, I really like what you say there. We, there's a lot of frustration in, in the not knowing. I think crucial in life is your ability to hold the uncertain and just go, look, I don't know, but I'm still going to keep moving in this area and not get frustrated by the not knowing. Just trust it will play out. Like, yeah, that's a really wise statement. And I feel like in hindsight, it was a period of listening, not waiting so much as just, it just resolved itself in the end. And it, it was no different with marriage. It was no different with being here in the US, you know, making a big life change to be on the other side of the world. There's just things that keep revisiting and keep coming up. And then eventually it was like, I think I need to listen to that and lean into it. Yeah, I like it. You just got to listen. And I think sometimes when we go down the classic Western, you can do it. You got to take an action today to make that stuff happen and that motivation angle. And I'm not anti-action, I'm not anti-motivation. But if we use that as our only tool to move forward, 
we end up making decisions for an idea that isn't matured yet. We've got to be prepared to take actions and be to take action swiftly. Once we get that gut feeling there, this is the direction, this is the direction. And I also recognize that a business is going to go through different stages, that you're going to be in the green stage. And the way Brad explains it, whether it's his model or someone else's, I don't know, but I heard him say it the other night. He said, you know, businesses start out as a baby and they can't do any damage. They're cute and they're fun and they're little and isn't it endearing. What a great idea, a little business. It's awesome. And everybody loves it. And then it becomes a toddler. And when you're a toddler, you can start breaking some stuff. You can do some damage. And then you become a teenager. And a teenager is a pretty ugly period because you're ugly, but you've got capacity, but it doesn't mean you're handling your, your responsibilities well. And then you become then you become a young adult. And the young adult is actually starting to get their straps until you become a mature adult. And, and the business goes through those stages and you can't speed those up. And in the early stages of infancy, there is just a waiting and allowing it to grow and mature. And I think that impatience is, it's a very damaging quality. We get so passionate about being driven. It's okay to let things unfold, but it is a balance, unfolding and taking action. Some people hear a contradiction there. There's not actually a contradiction, but they will. Well, it circles back with the whole goals thing a little bit, doesn't it? The sort of people, I think sometimes we wait to take an action on something because we're trying to figure out what the goal is that we're trying to achieve. And then it becomes an achievement thing. And then it becomes a disappointment thing if it doesn't go right. And then eventually we just stop trying. And it's really, maybe it is a bit more about listening and being patient. I do my best to follow where life is leading me i sort of stopped trying to create my world i still create it because i create it mentally and go oh, i'd really like to experience these things and then i just trust that life will take me in that direction i've become very sensitive to what feeling i've got in my body when i'm making decisions so if it feels a bit fatiguing or overwhelmed or i should do it oh this is hard work oh, i've got that thing hanging over me that usually indicates that's not the way to move forward there's other things that just feel light and easy but because they feel light and easy I've grown up with the thought, and much of the world has, that hard days work for a fair day's pay. And so we get conditioned that if it's easy and enjoyable, it's recreational, it's not work. So when we're in a business and there are easy things available to us, we can often, or even in a relationship, there are easy things available to us. We can disclaim them going, yeah, but that's not, you know, I've got the work in this area. I really, I personally believe that life is actually meant to be easy. I don't think life's meant to be hard. I think it's meant to have a lot of contrast and experience. So now when I'm living life, I'm listening to life. I'm listening to the things that are happening around me and I'm, I'm seeking to move into whatever feels good. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm moving naively because some people do that. I see in their businesses. I'm, I'll go in and help and I don't really deal with small businesses anymore, but small business, I'll go in there and this person is just loving organizing the shop, but they never look at the books. And they go, oh, but I'm moving towards the joy. And you're like, uh, well, I don't know, you are moving towards joy. I think you're moving moving towards financial ruin. <laughs> so I'm not saying don't do things that are uncomfortable, don't do things that are hard, but which one really brings you a heartfelt joy? Sometimes people move towards ignorance. So they say it's joy because I'm not looking at the problem, but they know the problem's there. So it's not really joy. It's really a, uh, a pending doom. So don't look. So it is a bit of an art form, but that's what I've tried to do. But I wasn't doing back when I was stuck. I never, ever did that. Never. You just you look. I wasn't waiting for anything. I was just trying to make it happen myself. I was trying to make it happen. I was like, "This is how it's going to work." I am right. I am a teacher. Stupid. 
So silly. When you heard this topic, and we need to finish up really because otherwise people are going to get too sick of us, but I still love hanging out with you, Mick, though. Don't worry. When you heard this topic, did you acknowledge any areas where you go, yeah, I was stuck and I changed, I had a big decision? Like, I know you mentioned the podcast, but you're also married and you're living in a different country and the like. Did you find that you had to let go of big things? I would have thought a big one would have been around what your responsibility to your family in Australia is. Yeah, it, it, although I've... I'm fortunate enough to have a really supportive family. And so that wasn't an intimidating one because that was a leaning into kind of a discussion. It was like, I'm going to lean into like traveling and doing this and I don't know where it's going to lead me. So it wasn't like, a, I'm going to just move to the other side of the world and I don't know when I'm coming back. It was just, I'm just going to do this thing. And then a series of more conversations, I'm sticking around longer. It's longer and longer. Okay. I'm here for a while. But I think. The decision to pursue that was significant because I was just finishing college. I think a big one for me was actually when you and I were doing a lot of work together and I just graduated into construction management and had what felt like a massive decision to make on whether I was going to continue doing work that you and I were doing in the let's call it personal development industry or continue to pursue my career in construction management. And I actually did not want to do the construction management, but it felt like, put it this way, I got uncomfortable at the level of stuff that we were doing. I got uncomfortable with my experience level of being in boardrooms, telling people stuff that was like, I don't even know what I'm saying. I was just reciting crap out of books and things that I'd learnt and realized pretty quickly I just need to go out and get my ass kicked for a few years. And so all of a sudden what I was in complete denial of, which was like, I'm just going to finish my degree and then just sandbag it and move on with this personal development thing, became a huge anchor that was like, this is what I need to do. Like, this is a hard industry. I'm going to be on the other side of the world. So when that opportunity on the other side of the world came up, it was kind of a no-brainer because it was like, okay, this is going to be really challenging but enjoyable, and this will be interesting to see if I can handle it. And uh, that was tough. I was homesick for a year and a half to two years. I It was just a really challenging time to completely outroot myself from all of my closest friends and networks and family and everything. And walk into an industry where, you know, when you're the new guy and the young kid that's got no experience, it's not a fun transition. So, yeah, lots of big decisions like that. But I kind of feel like they're a little bit calculated, but they're a little bit scary because I felt like I was letting go of some pretty big stuff. There's also a lot of uh, pain and discomfort there. Like, you know, you're homesick and uh, there's it's not working at first. And I think people can conclude, oh, it's the wrong decision. I should come home. I think it's important to to side a phrase I've said before is that I really believe, and this is like another belief that you can build your life around, is that I'm not telling you to, but I have, but is that it's always good in the end. And if it's not good, it's not the end. And you are you are mid-journey there. And although people, you know, I know you're grappling with the whole, I really got this personal development stuff, but I've done this engineering now. It's more financially viable too. I saw you grapple with that. But now here we are 15, 20 years on, we are in the personal development industry in a different way. Well, I always thought I'd get back into doing stuff like this, but I just didn't know in what capacity. Although if I knew what I know now in terms of listening to that kind of stuff, I'm glad I didn't 
but I probably would have gone home because I would have just said, well, I'm not happy right where I'm at right now. I'm away from all the people that I love, including, well, at the time, it was really, I hadn't met, you know, my future wife at that point, but I would have just jumped ship and just said, this is not how I want to spend my time in my life right now. I'm, I'm just committed to work and that's it. But I didn't, and that worked out well, right? So, yeah, I guess there's some truth in that. that It's not really, it's not good. It's not the end. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground there, a lot of good ground, an interesting discussion. I I actually feel like getting into the sort of patience thing was a little bit unexpected. It was interesting to see where that took us. I think that there are just so many cliches in life that are just not true. We'll go back to something I said earlier. I think when you're stuck and you're seeking advice from the people around you, you've got to look for principles. I think there are some that are just timeless. You find them in the Bible, you find them in the uh, Quran, you find them in Eastern writings, you're like they're everywhere. And, and patience is one of those fundamentals and that just trusting life, allowing it to unfold. And then when it's your time to act, act on that, but uh, not to act aggressively or recklessly, but to participate in life. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting discussion. If anybody's been listening and they go, now what? I think, you know, what you were saying before, Mick, about just leaning into something, as I put words around it too, just give it some time, resource it a little bit, just entertain it and let it mature until you feel like you're ready to make a move. But it's fun. It's fun. And it's always fun chatting young Michael Dunn. Yes, grasshopper. (laughs) (laughs) You're not really young. (laughs) You're married with kids. That doesn't make you young anymore. Yeah. But thanks, everybody, for tuning in for another episode. And um, if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is on our website at riskingfailure.com. You can leave us a voicemail there by uh, just checking in on uh, the little side tab and uh, leave us a voicemail message, any questions or comments. And then, obviously, you can comment on the website as well. Thanks for um, being a part of the episode. Catch you next week, mate. Cheers, buddy. Have a good one. All right. Bye. You've been listening to Risking Failure. To join the community and access more free content, news and updates, subscribe at riskingfailure.com.